Thank you, choir. Thank you, Becky, for that. This was a week that our church participated in Love Out Loud, which is a ministry that Northcrest Baptist Church started years ago and now have invited numbers of churches, including us, to participate in uh, all week long, an opportunity to love Meridian, reach out with the love of Christ. And so thank you to the many of you that did participate in Love Out Loud this week. I know you were blessed by your participation, and we look forward to being a part of this next year. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke, the New Testament, Luke chapter 15. And as you do so, this is the final part of the book of Jonah, part 7. And the title today is Jonah chapter 5. There is no Jonah chapter 5, which is why I've entitled it that. But uh, at the same time, um, we're going to look at a New Testament version of the story of Jonah. My sources include Gordon Ketty's book, Preacher on the Run, uh, Daniel Doriani, his uh, commentary on Matthew from the Reformed Expository Commentary, uh, Bob Deffenbaugh, his studies in Jonah, the prodigal prophet, and Richard Phillips, his commentary from the Reformed Expository on Jonah, and Lloyd Ogilvie's book, uh, The Other Jesus. I spoke this week at Aldersgate at uh, their independent uh, living area and also personal care, and which is my privilege to do that every once in a while. And uh, when I was there, they, they sing some songs, some hymns beforehand. And in the independent side, they sang the hymn, When We All Get to Heaven. And that's a great, great hymn, right? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. So we, we enjoyed singing that. Then I went over to the personal care side, and they sang that great old hymn, when the roll is called up yonder. You know that one, right? It's the only one men can actually sing, right? When the roll. You know, it's great for men because it's got that deep bass part. And so I said to both of them, when we all get to heaven and when the roll is called up yonder, we're going to be surprised who is there. And Donna had a great, great poem about that that she read to me this week. I, I didn't get the email, but anyway, uh, it's so good about that very thing. And the biggest shock of all is that we might be there. That's kind of the way it should be. I'm in Luke 15, and I'm going to read to you and have you stand for the reading in just a moment. Uh, in Luke 15, it's the story of what we call the prodigal son, right? You know the story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father... Give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a far distant country, and while there, squandered his wealth in wild living. And when he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he was at the bottom, he said to himself, How many of my father's hired servants have plenty of food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he got up. And he went home. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to him 
and he kissed him and he hugged him. And he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And the father would hear nothing of it. He ignored everything the son said. He said, bring a robe and put it around his shoulders. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive. Let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate because my son was lost and is now found. It's one of the greatest stories. I love the story of the prodigal son. So let's read the rest of the story. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. The rest of the story starts in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this son of this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we think we know about this story. We think that we know a lot about this story, and yet maybe we don't. So help us today, Father. Give us wisdom and understanding of this passage of Scripture, this story that you told, Jesus. Lord Jesus, teach us today about not only Jonah, but about ourselves. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's a story about lost sons. My Bible, you know, the Bible has headings in before a topic comes up, before a passage comes up. And my Bible says the parable of the lost son, singular. It really should be the parable of the lost sons because they're both lost. You may be thinking, what are you talking about? Both lost There's only one, the one that ran away. Well, let me tell you a couple of things about people. The way people act out there is estrangement from God. There are, first of all, those who leave. There are those who leave. And when the youngest son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. He basically meant, Father, in my mind, you're dead already. So give me what's coming to me after you're dead. If you remember when the prodigal finally returned home, he was openly received back by a loving father who quickly called for his servants to to prepare a feast, to kill the fattened calf so that we could all celebrate. So everyone might have the chance to celebrate that the wandering son had come home, but not everyone was ready to celebrate. So there are those who leave there. Secondly, those who stay. Someone once said that even though big brother stayed at home with his father, he lived in the far country in his heart. In other words, I'm convinced that both sons 
were lost and both sons were in rebellion against their father. So here's the the thing. Many who fall away from God remain in the church. I don't get that anymore maybe than you do. But for whatever reasons, whether for social or, or business purposes, they profess to be a Christian. They profess faith, but maybe not possess faith. It's performance-based faith, not grace-based faith. Now, what does all this have to do with Jonah? Because this is the last part in the series on Jonah. Well, Jonah reminds me of the older brother. He really does. The book of Jonah tells us that Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh. Furthermore, he was to go there and, quote, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. That's Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. We learn from 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, that Jonah was a prophet of God who lived in Israel and who served God as his mouthpiece, that is, one who spoke for God. Jonah's name means dove. (laughs) He flew away, all right. It means dove, but actually it means messenger. We're told that Jonah was the son of Amittai, which means truth. So Jonah was the son of truth. Jonah is a messenger of truth, God's truth. So when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, you would expect that as a prophet should be, he should be ready to answer the call of God. But he was not. That's not what happens. As you know, and if you've been here, if not, uh, God's call to Jonah is a big one. It's an overseas call. He's telling him to go to the, to, to the city of Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh, and to preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before the throne of God. And so Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Israel and the Assyrians were bitter enemies. The Assyrians were a cruel and a heartless people. When they took over a town in battle, they would take any survivors and impale them on stakes in front of the town where everybody could see. And on top of that, after a battle, they would take all the skulls of their enemies and make pillars out of them. And if that's not enough, their leaders would take the heads of the enemy leaders, and wear their skulls around their necks. I'm telling you all this to tell you this was not a friendly nation or a friendly people. Eventually, this nation, though, in the 8th century B.C., late in the 8th century B.C., would invade and destroy Israel, according to 2 Kings 17. So do you get the picture? To this enemy nation, specifically the enemy's capital, of Nineveh. God calls Jonah to go and preach against it. And Jonah says, no. Instead of following the call of God to head east to Nineveh, Jonah heads west to Tarshish. But if you remember the story, he doesn't get too far because God sends a storm and Jonah's disobedience affects not only himself, but all of those on board the ship who are traveling with him. Finally, when the casting of lots determines that Jonah is the reason that they're in this storm... He tells them, just throw me overboard and everything will be fine. And say that they do that and it is fine. Except for Jonah. Jonah knows he's about to drown. He returns to the Lord in prayer and God sends a sea creature, what many believe to be a sperm whale, who swallows Jonah whole. And three days later, the sea beast spits spits him out, vomits him out, is what the scripture says, onto the shore. Now, just an aside. But an important aside, Jonah was a long way from Nineveh because he ran away from the Lord. 
So remember that Tarshish was a village on the coast of Spain, 2,500 miles west of Israel. Nineveh was 550 miles east of Israel. So when God finally got Jonah's attention inside the belly of this giant fish, the question is, how did he travel hundreds of miles back to Nineveh? The answer is, the fish. The fish. This God-provided fish. Jonah was inside the belly of the fish for three days, which gave the fish ample time to swim toward Nineveh. How did Jonah get back to Nineveh? The fish. It's just an incredible thing. Is God incredible or what? All this time, Jonah's in the belly of the fish. The fish is heading to Nineveh. So Jonah heads to Nineveh. He preaches once he gets there, judgment upon the city of Nineveh. And after completing his mission, Jonah heads to the outskirts of the city and he sits down and awaits for God's judgment and wrath. But then something strange happens. As we saw last time, there's no destruction because even the king of Nineveh repents. His heart broken over his own wickedness. He calls on the entire city to pray and to fast and to repent and to trust in God's mercy. And as a result, the entire city repents and God shows them mercy. And like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, Jonah gets angry. He says, God, that's exactly what I thought you would do. That's why I didn't go the first time. Because I know that you're a gracious and merciful and compassionate God, forgiving God. I knew it. And you did it. So now just let me die. And so let's look at some important lessons concerning grace. If you have your outline, I hope you'll note these. Number one is the nature of grace. The nature of grace is that it's unmerited favor. It's a blessing which is not deserved. Jonah didn't like grace because it was something that he could not earn. Basically, Jonah didn't like seeing himself as unworthy because he suffered from a very large dose of racial pride. He felt that as an Israelite, that God was somehow obliged to bless him and to bless his people, while the Ninevites were unworthy of consideration as recipients of the grace of God. The nature of grace is that it's unmerited. It's undeserved. Second, the goal of grace. The goal of grace is not to make you happy, but to make you holy. Remember the plant that God gave to Jonah? It was a plant that grew up while he was sitting there waiting on the city to be destroyed. It grew up and gave him shade and it made him happy, but it didn't make him holy. And then God took away the plant and that did not make Jonah happy either. It made him very angry because a worm ate the, the plant and it died and then the scorching sun's hitting his head and he's very, very hot. So what's the goal that God has for, for Jonah? I mean, if the goal of grace is to make us holy, which is what the goal of grace is, then it has to include those painful experiences that you and I have to go through. And when we go through those painful experiences, it's very difficult when you're asking the Lord to help you and you don't think He's answering your prayer. If you've ever experienced some unpleasant times in your life, I think you will agree that it's been during those times 
that you grow the most spiritually. Because you are forced to lean upon the Lord because you, you have nothing. You have nothing to offer. So the goal of grace is not to make us happy, but to make us holy. And then the distribution of grace. I mean, we would all like some grace, right? I mean, we all need some extra grace. But because grace is unmerited and given to those who are unworthy, no one has a claim on it. No one can legitimately feel that he or she is worthy of the grace of God or that there is something that they've done that obligates God to respond to them with some gift of grace. So how is grace distributed? Just as He wills. Exodus 33 says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The distribution of grace is not in our hands. It's completely in the hands of God. So, we talk about Jonah. We talk about the elder brother. And the elder brother does remind me of Jonah. What was Big Brother's problem in our story of the prodigal son? Well, he had several. And the first is this. He had a jealousy problem. Number one, he had a jealousy problem. He was jealous of his younger brother. Why was he jealous? Because he felt he deserved more. Self-righteous people resent others receiving anything, especially those whom they feel are less deserving than they are. And every once in a while, the self-righteous becomes so fed up, it shows, like it shows in verse 30 of chapter 15 of Luke. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, I didn't hear anything in the story of the younger brother about prostitutes, did you? There's no mention of prostitutes. And so here's what I think. I think big brother suspected little brother of specific sins that he himself would have liked to commit, but never had the chance to commit. So he's jealous. Number two, he had a selfishness problem. If I want to be fair to big brother, I must say that in the ancient world, if you invited a guest to a meal, it would be appropriate to kill a chicken. If two families came, maybe a duck or a goose. If you invited a group of friends, as the elder brother mentions wanting to do, then maybe a goat or a lamb. A fattened calf meant the entire village was invited. And in his selfishness, Big Brother was saying, what about me? What about me? So the oldest son, the Big Brother, was completely self-righteous. He saw himself as the model son. If you look in verse 29... He answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Sla slaving for you? What in the world is that about? Slaving for you? I mean, he wasn't his slave. He wasn't his servant. He was his son. And the word slave there is the word duleo, which basically means he thought he was a slave. It kind of gives him away. He had no concept of, being, of what being a son was really all about. And so this son saw himself as the model son, but he wasn't the model son. He was very, very selfish. And then the third thing, he not only had a jealousy problem, not only had a selfishness problem, he had a forgiveness problem. He didn't understand what being a father was all about. And those of you that are fathers, I think you understand why 
a father would be so excited over a wild and rebellious son coming home? I think he would. I certainly understand it. But this older brother didn't understand the grace and mercy of his father. And in verse 32, when the father says, we had to celebrate. We had to. Don't you get it? And he didn't get it. And so the point of Jesus' story is that God is the father of all grace, welcomes sinners no matter where they've been or no matter what they've done. And that's hard for us in the church. Paul Turnier, the great Swiss psychiatrist and theologian, once said that Christianity is the only religion in the world which says that God loves the unrighteous more than He loves the righteous. The only religion in the world. Big Brother shows us that once, one, once more that the more decent and upright you are, oftentimes the harder it is for you to understand that kind of love. Luke 15.30, Big Brother says, When this son of yours, can't even call him my brother, This son of yours. And why can't he call him my brother? Because he disowned him. He's cut him off. You don't belong to us anymore. And he really didn't love. The big brother didn't really love the father. For if he had, he would have shared in the father's joy over his little brother's return. You know what the spirit of the father is? The spirit of the father is the ability to forgive and forget. Now, I know we have a hard time with that. The whole thing of forgetting. You can say, and I've heard it many times, well, I'll forgive them, but I'm not going to forget. But you're choosing not to hold it against them. That's what forgetting means. Yeah, in your, in your fallen, I mean, we're, we're finite creatures. In our finite fallen state, we, we can't forget but we choose not to hold it against people who've hurt us. You may not know this, but when the fattened calf was slaughtered, the actual slaughter took place in front of the doorway to the home so that when the guests stepped across the blood-stained doorway, it symbolized that the past had been left behind. Which brings us back once more to the crux of the gospel, that if you've experienced the life-changing encounter with Christ, your heart's been changed. Which brings us to the bottom line of the story of Jonah. That Jonah was so completely self-righteous that he didn't want to be the messenger of God's grace to the undeserving. But who was Jonah to think he could pick and choose? And as you think about that, consider this important fact. Jonah was also a reflection of his people, the Israelites. They were the same way. Which makes it abundantly clear why God would eventually destroy the Israelites. Because they refused to repent. And he actually used their enemies, the Assyrians, to accomplish it. You see, the dating of Jonah, the dating of Jonah is the mid-9th century B.C. So somewhere around 850 or so is when Jonah is, is written. But the destruction of Israel was in the late 8th century B.C. So about 722 B.C. is when the Israelites were destroyed by the Assyrians because of their unbelief. And that's why the book of Jonah doesn't have a happy ending. And that's why the parable of the prodigal son doesn't have a happy ending either. We are left somewhat suspended by the final words of the the book of Jonah and by the final words of the father to his oldest son in Jonah 4.11 and also in Luke 15.32. So Jesus fulfills Jonah for sure in his death and resurrection, but also he completely 
embodies God's love for the nations. Even a nation as wicked as Assyria. And you remember what they said about Jesus. He hangs out with Republicans and sinners. And they didn't like Him for that. That was the elite that did not like Him for that. And so Jesus goes on to say that at the day of judgment, the people of Nineveh will rise up and condemn Jesus' generation. Why? Because they heard a little and repented. The people of, of Nineveh did. While Jesus' audience heard much and refused to repent. You know a whole lot more than the people of Nineveh. You and I do. You know a whole lot more. Even more than heard Jesus preach. Therefore, the responsibility is with you and with me to listen, to believe, or else to miss out on the grace of God. Now, as I said last week, we don't know what happened to Jonah. We don't know what happened to Big Brother. But we do know that there's no cure for self-righteousness apart from the gospel, apart from the grace and mercy of God, apart from the coming of the new covenant through Israel's Messiah. So the good news for us is that in our text, in our text in Luke 15, the good news for us is the father went out to both sons. To both sons. And what love the father has for us. What love the father has for us that we should be called the children of God. That brings us to our verse of the week, which is Romans 5, 6 through 8. And let's read it together. It's a long one, so I'm going to put the outline in front of me so I don't get it wrong. <laughs> the bottom of your outline, let's read it out loud. It's a beautiful passage. Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we are so grateful for your abundant, amazing grace in our lives. We are undeserving sinners. And yet you have given your grace to us in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking our place on the cross, rising from the dead. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that fish, you were also in the belly of the earth. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you're alive and that you're a gracious and merciful God who receives us. And gives us the opportunity to be forgiven of our sins. And so, Father, help us to see ourselves in a mirror. If we're unwilling to forgive those who have hurt us, how can we receive your forgiveness? How can we even understand your forgiveness? Give us the capacity, Lord, to understand your grace and mercy. And to love those that you love. Thank you, Lord, for this week. Thank you for our many in our church that were involved in Love Out Loud, for the privilege to share the good news of the gospel with those that we do not know in this city. Bless our city, Lord. Bless the city of Meridian. And Lord God, I pray that you will bring 
healing and wholeness and hope to this city. And to this church, I pray the same. Keep us, Lord, from self-righteousness. And lead us to humble ourselves and bow down before the throne of our great and mighty God who has condescended to us in the person of His Son, our Savior, even Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen.